On the north side of Chicago It's the coolest bar in town And if you go up there You better just beware You're gonna find a bunch of clowns It's a mad, mad, crazy bar The whole damn place is just so bizarre It's full of all the vice and sin where do we even begin? Tip your bartenders. Hello, everybody. Hi. Hi, Genius. Hi. Hi, hi Bub Crawlers. This is Bub Crawlers. That's the Genius. The geriatric Genius. He's no young Genius. Let's, I prefer, let's be clear about that. I just prefer straight Genius, but um, what? I can live with geriatric Genius. Especially now that I just had my 78th birthday Sunday. You did. And let me tell you, he's looking hes looking at a day over 80. <laughs> you know, when I was 42 or 43, I got my first senior citizen ID. I had my father's. He was like 84 or something. And I saw when I used to go out to Jackson Park Golf Course, the black guys used to say when they saw me with that 84-year-old birth, um, birth certificate, or, or actually just straight ID, they said, you don't look a day over 70. Lovely. And then when you're 42, of course, you know, there's a racial thing. All white people look alike. <laughs> um, welcome to everyone listening. This is officially the first podcast that you're listening to of As the Ale House Turns. Um, a podcast that is recorded at the Old Town Ale House in Old Town, Chicago. And it's a podcast where we talk about absolutely nothing. No, we talk about really important stuff. Like what? We talk about world peace. We talk about ethics, morality. (laughs) Lack of. Well, we talk about the lack of, absolutely. I think these are absolutely crucial subjects. People have asked me about this podcast and what it's about, and I really have to sit there and think about it, and I really do look at them and say it's about nothing. If Seinfeld were a podcast, this would be it. Nothing. Yeah, but Seinfeld's not a genius. There's a big difference. Seinfeld was a great freaking show. Yes, it was, but he's not a genius. I'm going to... There aren't many of us. We can agree to disagree. I actually think Seinfeld, Jerry Uh, Seinfeld and that show, along with um, the cast... And the writers, I think, did an amazing job of providing something that didn't already exist. I'm not going to argue. I like the show. Yeah, it was a fantastic show. Did you ever watch Curb Your Enthusiasm? Yeah. Fantastic show. Larry David. Those two, I think, are geniuses. They're good. They're what, good. What the, what the fuck could different, differentiates you and Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld? Why are you so much better? Well, I mean, no, they're, they're, they're better comic writers than I am. But, I mean, when you're just talking about the major issues of our time, insights, your ability, I mean, you know, it's a lot easier to go out and crack jokes than to write one brilliant blog after another, write books. And also, while you're doing that, in the middle of that, knock off one incredible painting after another. There's a big difference. All right, well, you know what? We're going to let the listeners decide. After several episodes. Well, this will be a good test of their intelligence and taste. <laughs> yeah. You, everybody out there is going to be the asshole if you don't think he's I'm the real sure, I'm genius. I'm certainly not going to be the asshole. <laughs> um, Jordan, our producer. And with, by the way, without George, George's the heart and soul of our he show. He's the heart and soul. Because I was led to believe that Pub Crawl Liz could figure this all no, out in which about is, three minutes. Which is such bullshit. And she's just a t- total state of confusion. In fact, she almost looks... More, more loss than I am. I at least admit I don't know shit when it he comes. He didn't to even know what a podcast was. Everybody, okay. And then I had to explain it to him in, in like old man terms. It's like an old radio show. You know, you listen to that shit in the nineteen fifties. Well, 40s. I mean, I have earphones. And there's a microphone. Okay, I can figure that out. Anyway, I I just suggested we do the podcast. I didn't. Ne- I never said I know what the fuck I'm doing. Yes, you did. You said yeah. I could figure out in five minutes. You're an ass. I did not. But thank, anyway, Jordan is here. Thank well, the dear sweet baby Jesus. If, if he wasn't here, we wouldn't be here. Correct. Correct. So um, thank you, Jordan, for making everybody's dreams come true. Thank you, Jordan, for saving uh, Pub Crawl Lisa's ass. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Saving my career, saving it all. All of it. Not all of it, but mo- a large chunk of it. <laughs> um, this is true. Uh, so, uh, today, 
It's been a really weird weekend. It's been a really rough weekend. Um, what, 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 what are, what, I don't even know what day it is. It's Tuesday. Today is Tuesday. June. Oh, I think it's June 12th. June 12th. Uh, 2018. Um, and it's been a very, uh, busy, hectic, taxing, emotional, crazy weekend. And the genius, let me tell you, he's got about, I don't know, a few weeks of fur on his face. It's he's, that. He's I, been, I, I, I'm very hirsute. He's disheveled. Um, well, I'm, I, yeah, I'm, I am disheveled. Um, Although I did get a haircut about a month ago. Congratulations. Thank you. I was supposed to do that. We talked about that. I was supposed to do that. I will be doing your next haircut. I will be providing your next haircut for you. I, even, I, have, I bought a special bowl shape just like your head. Oh, going to happen. Maybe we'll take, maybe we'll talk about that and take pictures of it. Anyway, so, uh, the genius, uh, on Friday, as we all woke up to Friday morning, learned about Anthony Bourdain's passing, and as some of you may or may not know, uh, Bruce and Tony were good friends, um, and so it was a hard day on Friday. And the genius was very sad, still is. How are you doing? Um, I'm still... Well, what I've been able to do... I mean, yes, I felt terrible because we had been through, we had been through a lot together. And it was certainly unexpected in a sense. But what I'm able to do in a situation like this is transfer my sadness into anger and a thirst for revenge. This, so, this is how you tick, I know. This is how I roll. Okay, so <clears throat> how did you, when you woke up, did you turn on the news? Is that no, how you found out? my daughter called me up, my daughter Grace Littlefeather called me up at 6.30 in the morning and said, Dad, Anthony Bourdain is dead. And I had just, I I think I chatted with him on Twitter like four or five days ago. We'd been arguing about um, sex, politics, and art. Um, I'd, I'd done this painting of his girlfriend, Aja Argento, slashing Harvey Weinstein's throat with Rose McGowan watching it. And we got to a kind of a dispute over who, who really inspired me to do the painting, whether it was Caravaggio or a female, famous female, the only really famous female uh, Renaissance artist, Gentilishi. And we had this argument, and then I get a call from my daughter that he's dead. I didn't know it was a suicide. She didn't tell me it was a suicide. I had to turn on the TV. And then they weren't real clear right at first, but within a couple hours they said it was a suicide. And I can't say I was completely shocked because I had had conversations with him within the last couple of years that led me to believe that he was not the happiest guy in the world. So, still, what... What did, what did those conversations look like? Well, the very last time I saw him in person was when we did the Chicago Parts Unknown show. And the last segment we did was at the lily pond behind he wanted to do a kind of a tribute to roger ebert he's a huge fan of roger ebert's and and that's how he found you that's how we yes um roger talked me into writing a blog and kind of coached me for a while got me going and then he would plug me well it turns out roger had two and a half million people a day reading his blog which i as far as talking about cultural and you know important things, he, there was nobody comparing uh, comparable to him. And um, Bourdain, who's a huge movie fan, read Roger religiously, and he um, Roger would plug me, so he jumped over. Well, it turns out Bourdain, I don't know how many years ago, not that many years ago, he started a book line with Echo Press. Uh, which is a subsidiary of HarperCollins. And so he, out of a clear blue sky, he calls me up 
and asked me if I would, he loved my writing, said he wanted to um, take my blog and shape it into a book for this book line of his. And so, okay, I had no intentions of writing a book. I Did you no, know who Anthony Bourdain was before that? Well, no, not really. <laughs> what, but of course he, you but, didn't. But his, one of his people called my daughter at the bar and said that he wanted to talk to me. When, 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 when could they, we get together and talk? So she calls me up and she says, um, Dad, do you know who Anthony Bourdain is? And I said, uh, is he an actor? She says, no. Well, it turns out my ex-wife and her were both huge fans. My ex-wife was a chef in New York for a while. And they both watched the shows. And uh, I think my ex-wife, I don't know if Gracie at the time had read uh, his book, Kitchen Confidential. So, no, I did not know. So she said, well, Dan, he wants to talk to you. So we be here at the bar. I told him he'd be here tomorrow at 10 o'clock. He's going to call. So so I went on the Internet, and I looked him up. And, yeah, he's got this food show with Travel Channel and all this stuff. So, yeah, yeah he's... People, people know who he is, yeah. Yeah, well, it turns out everybody knew who <laughs> he was, except I did, except for me. And um, so he called a few minutes after... And he apologized because he said he had to take his uh, five-year-old daughter at the time to school. So he told me how wonderful I was, which I love hearing. Yes, um, yes. And he said that I had, um, that he had the best agent in New York, a woman named um, Kim Witherspoon. And she ran, um, I, what the hell was it? I forget the name of it. <laughs> anyway, he said... She'll be calling you tomorrow. You need an agent. She'll negotiate the money. And um, Inkwell, Inkwell Management. And because you need an agent, she's the best. She'll call you. And you might as well uh, Google Echo Press, and you'll see how good they are. They've got Joyce Carol Oates, people like that. It's really great publishers. So all of a sudden, here I am just... Hustling golf, playing in my little arboretum out of the Ogden Dunes, and writing a blog. That's all I was doing. Um, as I pointed out, because of um, once I reached 70, I was no longer chasing pussy, uh, gambling on the golf course, and I was still hanging around bars. That was one thing I could still do. So I actually had time to do a few things. And so that's when I started writing. I, I mean, I managed to paint for about the last 20 years. So he finds you, he likes you, he asks you to So, yeah, well, deal. he wants, so now I, all of a sudden, I've got an agent, I've got a book deal. Um, and, 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 and here it comes, how did you fuck it up? Well, wait, let's not, let's not jump the, you know, because I'm not totally guilty. Uh-huh. I mean, there were others that fucked up beside me. This just didn't happen. Well, Ebert did say, when I told Eber, I, I, I contacted him on the internet, and I said, Roger, you won't believe this, but um, this uh, writer, TV personality, wants to do uh, turn my blog into a book. His name is Anthony Boyd. Oh, yeah, I would, you know, he heard of him and all this. He heard of Echo Press. He heard of all things. And so after, uh, you know, we had a little back and forth on the internet and he said well Bruce knowing it, you as I do you will fuck this up <laughs> well I didn't really I didn't put too much credence in that at first but um, it, it did you know and when when the agent called me Kim who I watched I saw something on television with her she was real smart not, not bad looking either so she always oh, got to throw that in. Well, if she was, uh, I wouldn't throw it in mm-hmm. if she was, uh, okay, beast oh, Okay, um, so she said, so I asked her the first time I talked to her, I said, um, what, what's the deal on because you know, I'm writing on my blog, I'm writing a lot of unflattering things about a lot of people. She says, well, just as long as you use nicknames and stuff. Oh, okay, because that's what I did. I think pretty much everybody, I... I uh, yeah, your nicknames are not, you know, obvious at all. Well, they're pretty obvious, but <laughs> still, they are nicknames. I'm not using, you know, I'm not 
Yeah, so... Um, yeah, I've never met anyone when you've introduced me as Liz, when immediately they say, oh, are you pub crawl Liz? Well... So, yeah, yeah I'm sure your, your nicknames are not obvious at all. Well, I mean, you have read my blog, so yes, you probably, I have, you I probably have. pretty much know who Street Jimmy is and people like that. Well, anyway, so the problem was, I mean, I, I had no clue how to take a blog all and shape it into a book. I was clueless. So they went and got, they got a really good editor named Strauss. So they invested some dough in you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, it just and gets better and better. <laughs> They did. They did invest some money in this whole project, and um, so it was kind of uh, puttering along. But we we were making once Strasbaugh jumped into this thing. He was a writer, professional writer. Um, it wasn't the book I wanted. They wanted eighty thousand words, and they cut out two or three stories they thought really important. But what the hell? I mean, you know. And, uh, oh, but the first conversation I had with the uh, agent was kind of funny because after she gives me this long spiel, I don't think she was crazy about me, but she was doing it because they made a lot of money off Bourdain, and I think they were willing to humor him. I don't think I was the dream client that she was looking for. That's my feeling Shocker. now. But, uh, so at the very end, she started talking about the money. She said, you know, there's only, you know, your first time author and I said Kim I probably shouldn't tell you this but the only thing I really care about at this point in my life is it's not the money it's just pissing off my enemies and um, that's what really matters priorities that was my well it still is yeah I know so um, what happened was after about oh hell well Anthony for the first time when he was doing the travel train, showed up here with his TV crew, and we were the first place I think he ever did that didn't serve food. But it was kind of a part of the deal was, you know, pro- promote the upcoming sure. book. So, and plus, we had developed a relationship back and forth. And um, so when he came and did the, the, the first time I met him in person was when he came up and he came with the um, layover show and uh, and he described it later when, when I got to know better he said you know how fucked up working on the travel channel was he yeah said, I remember he hated it yeah and he said they just fired people right and left he never knew who his producers were going to be and that when uh, CNN came along they said we can take you can we can promote situations you could never have done on the track. You know, it was... Yeah. So, um... He had sort of creative liberty. Oh, yeah. Too, way, way compared more. Compared to Travel and Channel. not to mention the money. Yeah. But he loved books. He loved movies. He, and, and by the way, I read... I read his books, and, um... The, um... What's the big one? Um... Kitchen Confidential. Kitchen yeah. Confidential. Really good writer. Yeah. A very he wrote. What people don't know uh, that you told me is that he wrote, he wrote all of his shows. Oh yeah, and he can, for parts he, unknown. And it, and it did piss him off that when it came Emmy time, nobody ever gave him up for for writer. <laughs> right. Because it was you know excellent writing. I mean, it was yeah. outstanding. Really, the guy was really a good writer. Frustrated writer, but a good writer. Aren't all writers frustrated? Well, um, I don't know all writers. Um, I would imagine though, yeah. I mean, I'm just thinking very basic terms of your blog and the guest bloggers, and everyone expresses frustration just for a blog. So I'm guessing on a grander level, it can be pretty frustrating. No, it is. Well, it's hard. Anything that's hard. Yeah, it takes a toll. Well, well, remember, though, I did for about six, seven years, seven days a week, every day. How many days in the year? 352? 365. 365? Yeah. That's how many days in a year? Yes. I've always been terrible at math. Anyway, um, that's what I did. That's not math. That's just memory. Yeah, but I can remember verbatim conversations I've had when I was four years old. There's no math to figure out all the months. People just say 365 every year. I'm not good at months. Okay. Years. Names. But I am good at conversations. But you are a genius. Can you remember verbatim conversations you had when you were four? Bullshit. You know you can't. 
So, no, my genius, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's creative, it's artistic, it's not memory, it's not remembering the questions to a test. Okay, so answers. how did you fuck up this book deal? Well, I don't think I'm the complete villain here. Of course, um, you never think that. No, I have been the You're villain. You're always an innocent, no, an no, innocent no, no, no. human. No, no, no. I have been a villain at times. Not often, but I do. I mean, but uh, what happened was we everything was ready to go. I was going to do a book tour tour with them. The editing was done, um, and um, all they needed to do. The cover was finally agreed upon. Apparently, Bourdain wanted to put my naked Sarah Palin on the back cover and got in a big fight with uh, the lawyers at Harper Collins because. Um, she, her lawyers said that uh, Sarah's lawyers said that if they put that on the back of my cover, they she was supposed to write a book, and they they would pull. I would never gone to war with that. Hell, I didn't need to do that. But anyway, I wasn't crazy about the last draft. I thought that they left out some of the best stuff. So you weren't happy about how they had edited it. I wasn't, yeah, I just what they let, I mean, the whole idea about this arbitrary thing, 80,000 words. Sure. But, I'm, what the hell, you know, you don't look a gift horse in the yeah. mouth if you don't have to. So, everything is ready to go. I get a lot, uh, uh, at the last minute, before I'm, it's going to come out, and I'm going to go on this book tour, which I was really looking forward to, you know, hanging around with Anthony, doing all this shit, going to New York. Um... I get this call from Kim, the agent, and she said, Bruce, there's a little problem with the lawyers. They're having a little trouble with your book. And now, and she named the name of the woman. And I can use the word cunt freely when I'm dealing with this bitch. So, the minute I, so she tells me right off the bat, when, and, um, Toby, Did my, you use this word often in your book? No, no, no. I'm, oh, I'm using about, every. You're talking, about, you're talking I'm using about the, about the lawyer. Oh, got it. Yeah. Okay. I might have used the word, but I mean, no. But the, this word. What the hell is your name? Trina or something like that. So, Kim says she she sounds worse than she is, but she she wants to talk to you. There's some problems. So, I, she said, but then she said, but don't worry, you, you can talk to me. Well, bullshit. My, all my instincts in talking to lawyers is yes, no, I can't remember, yes, no, I can't remember, yes, no, I can't remember, no, I can't remember, no, 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 I can't remember. So that's my normal. But she said, and so then she calls and she says, um, lawyer client privilege, nobody can be listening, we'll put it on the speakerphone, all this and this. I think she's talking about me. Well, she wasn't talking about me. She was talking about her and Harper Collins. I had no lawyer-client privilege, but she led me to believe that. So she gets right off the bat. She says, now you describe... Um, you describe... Uh, faggy pants. Which what? is a nickname for a character of yeah. someone who used to work and at the bar. You're describing him having sexual encounters. Yeah. Well, was that? Well, no. I, she said, in a perfect world, all your characters would be dead or sign releases. I said, well, I think I can get releases. Well, you can get a release from the Frogman of Shoulder Woods describing how he crawled under a latrine in a forest preserve and was having women poop on him. I said, <laughs> Yeah, I think I can. I'm, I'll try. What about Big Dog? You describe Big Dog ripping off everybody. Yeah, he'd, he'd be. In fact, he'd be happy to be in the in a book. And you know, what about? Uh, you know, he just went. She went through all these characters, and, and you know, all these. And I could tell within seconds she hated the book. She hated me, and. Um, she, she, I mean, she really hated me. I mean, there was, you know, you could just feel the Had hatred. Had she met you? No, we were just talking on the, huh. we were just talking on the phone. And so, I tend to react the same way, you know, when people, uh, when, when I did the Sarah Palin painting that went viral, 
I was getting calls from all these shock shocks and oh, we're getting death threats. I get, we got over experience death threats after Sarah Palin. But uh, the the, I, after my second or third shock jock attacking me, I knew right off the and then they hang up. But right off the bat, I could tell when they were going to go after me. So I went after them. I, I would t- turn on them viciously so I could get them my chops before they started theirs. So that's, so my, that's what you did with the lawyer. Yeah, yeah, I really did. I just went, you know, you really are a stupid, ignorant, low-life, ridiculous, insipid cunt. And you don't know shit. Well. That didn't go over so well. No. So, um, this was like an hour, at least. So, um, but I figured, well, it's lawyer client, big deal, we have a little scrap here. And I immediately started contacting people for for the releases. And fortunately for me, a lot of my characters died. <laughs> but um, uh, so I, as it turns out, ironically, I did end up getting um, uh, re- releases from virtually virtually everything. And um, so. All of a sudden, my daughter, unfortunately, did not save it. But then, then she, I did not know how to even do email at this time. I just knew how to press a button, do my blog, get on Facebook, call people names. That was it. I didn't really know how to do anything much beyond that. So my, my daughter calls and said, I just got this hysterical, I mean, I mean, hysteria, hysterical um, email from Anthony Bourdain. And... He said that they lawyers pulled the plug on your book. I said what? And he's gonna he's going to contact you. Well, he he doesn't contact. He sends her two more hysterical, you know, like whoa, this is terrible. This is the kind of book I want to publish. The lawyers are assholes. I hate fucking lawyers. They're just bastards and all this. Um, and then he says, Kim will contact me, and Dan Halpern the. Editor and the boss at Echo Press. Okay, really I said, "Yeah, Bruce, you really were. You know, that was really. You, you just didn't handle lawyers well at all. And, um, they're just not going to. They're not going to publish this book. Well, that was unfortunate. So let's let's just recap, everybody. Well, wait a second before we recap. Before we recap, I want there's a, a golden lining here. I then, the Kim has this assistant named William Callahan. Now, I don't think they're my agents anymore because they will. I think your agents would return your emails or your phone calls, which they don't do any of that. But anyway, he said, oh, well, we can can find another publisher. So um, I waited a year when there was no other publisher. I mean, turns out I'm rather toxic in New York with publishing world. But I so I wrote the book I really wanted. I had the, the three uh, chapters that I thought they shouldn't have taken out. Did some really heavy lifting editing, and um, the book was a thousand times better. I was much pr- I would have been embarrassed. This the is the moment. book you self-published called uh, "Last Night at the Old Town." Last Night House. at the Old Town, which is your first book. That's my which first I will book. say. Is a really good read. Well, yeah, I mean, you might enjoy the second one if you ever uh, got up your yeah, fat I'm ass kinda, and I'm read it. Yeah, I'm kind of busy. The that. first book was really good. But let's recap. <clears throat> Anthony Bourdain finds you. He discovers you. He likes you. That's That in and of itself is a fucking miracle. He likes you. He did TV show here. He decides to... He asks you. He asks you to to take your writings and put them into a book. He funds the editing process for you. Gets it all going. Gets you an agent. Basically, hands you a book deal on a platter. Says he's going to tour with you. And you fucked it up. I I think I had help. I think my agent gave me some very poor advice. Had she just said. Yes, no, maybe, I don't remember, which is my normal way of talking to lawyers. I think, who knows? No, I, I, in retrospect, they, they were out to get me. I mean, she said it was the most libelous, defamatory book that ever crossed her desk. Well, we'll, we'll let everybody decide 
what they want to believe after hearing all of this nonsense. That's a great book. It is a great book. But here's a kicker. Here's a kicker, too. After all of that bullshit, Bourdain still liked you. He lost money. Well, now, there, he didn't exactly throw his arms around me after that happened. But... I kind of thought for a year... Well, you know, when I first met him, he was going to trans. He was going over to the, um, CNN, and I thought, "Damn, I wish the hell he would have done my sh- our show in Chicago on CNN." Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And because it's so much, you know, it's a much better quality work yeah. and uh, wider wider audience. But um, sure, out of clear blue sky, really, because I hadn't contacted him uh, or made, you know since the, this. A disaster. So he calls me up, um, and he, uh, Bruce, coming to Chicago. I got all kinds of great ideas. My producer's Michael Steed. He'll be in touch with you. Work out. I want to do the whole show around the old town Yale house and you. But, oh, okay, Anthony. Cool. So that again is, I mean, pretty and spectacular. By the way. By the way you didn't ask me why I am the only person that calls him Anthony. Right. So that's the other thing. So I was, because of your insistence, I will say, um, you are my, my little angel in a very fucked up way. Um, when the show was being filmed here in Chicago, and it really was unique because if you look at any of the parts and known shows, they do them in segments. And they do a segment and then it's over. Whereas the Chicago show really always came back to the Ale House. Starts with the Ale House, keeps coming back to the Ale House, ends with the Ale House. Ends with you guys at the Lily Pond. So um, Bruce here says you need to be a part of the show. So at your insistence, I was a part of the show. And they interviewed a lot of us and due to time constraints. Honestly, I think it's because they like talking to you so much. Uh, I don't think there's any doubt about that. (laughs) They uh, really... featured you and a lot of the interviews were cut but okay that's, I don't, that's showbiz that's, show, that's showbiz right yeah. you get a book deal one day a book tour yeah. and then the next day yeah um, but at least I got to hang out and, and, and sip on a sip on a beer and be here for the filming and you can uh, it certainly was a part of the whole thing um, and I remember that night meeting Anthony and he said to me, it was really nice to meet you. Thanks for being here. Please call me Tony. And he was really nice. He was he was everything you think he would be, in, like you wanted him to be. You know how you see a celebrity and you're like, oh, if they're so cool and they're so just genuine, whatever. The image that everyone had of, I think, Tony was 100% true. That's what he was in real life. And that was that was really neat to see. And so when he said, call me Tony, and then, you know, he was very cordial and very um, interested in chatting with each individual and hanging out with us, uh, that was, I think, incredibly refreshing. And he was very much no bullshit, just like the way you think. So I've always been fascinated by the fact that you've never called him Tony. No, he asked me about that several times. And I said, the reason I don't call you Tony is because everybody else calls you Tony. And he, he understood. He understood. What the fuck is that? It's that I don't like doing what everybody else does. You're too cool for school? I'm way too cool for school. Always was. I probably always will be. That's your reason? You gotta come up with a better story than that. No, that's the reason. And also, I trained Street Jimmy into calling him Anthony. So really, we're the only... <laughs> the only two people I know that would call him Anthony whenever we see him. I don't think it's very difficult to train Street Jimmy to do anything. Oh, it's very hard. <laughs> Except very, for not take drugs. It's very hard to train him. Okay, so you and Tony developed this relationship over several years. and We had, uh, our, we had our ups and downs. It was okay. an up and down relationship. Mostly your fault. Like all your relationships. Um... I, I guess you could say the majority of it was my fault. Uh-huh. Not all of it. Really? Really. Okay. So, you guys had your ups and downs, but you remained friends. 
<clears throat> and so you. Well, I wasn't sure we were friends until he called me. For the parts unknown show. Parts unknown. Right. Okay, but then he came to town, and you guys spent some good time together. We spent a lot of time together. Yeah. yeah well, he a, he was here for the whole what? He was here for, for a, a week. week, and he yeah. he gets hung out every day, and. Yeah, I talked to him every day. <clears throat> so that's kind of where we started this conversation. Was you were not surprised by the fact? Well, I mean, I'm I was shocked, but the more I thought about it. And I thought about our last in-person conversation, which was at the Lily Pond. And the final shot was we were going to walk around the Lily Pond. Because they, they never did put that in, but we did a whole loop-de-loop around the Lily Pond, which is right behind Lincoln Park Zoo. Yeah. And there was a big argument about But Originally, Bourdain, when I, I suggested that he wanted to do the tribute for Roger, I said... I told his producer behind the the lily pond behind Lincoln Park Zoo was Roger's favorite place in the city. So Bourdain calls me up and says, "Does he, Roger had to have a favorite restaurant? You know, I guess he's a fat guy. He's supposed to." You know, whatever. I said, "Yeah, Steak and Shake." And, and really, yeah, <laughs> he loves Steak and Shake. So I said, "No, that really, it's 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 cool." He said, "Well, I'll check it out." So he calls me, yeah, okay, Lily Pond's fine. So that was the very last, and of course it's late October, so it was very dicey weather, how well, how good the weather would be. It turns out it was beautiful. It was a sunny, you know, maybe in the high 60s. Yeah. And it's a beautiful place. Most people don't even know it's there. So after we did our whole, the, the tribute to Roger, they wanted to get a photo shot of us walking around the pond. So we're walking around the pond, we start talking, and at some point, about halfway around the pond, we, I stopped, and he, he was talking about having to go, as soon as he finished the show, he's flying to New York, he was, and he'd spend a few days in New York, and he was flying out west to the, the writer Jim Harrison, he was a huge fan of Jim Harrison's, and he was going to do his show kind of based around Jim Harrison. And um, so I said, you know, everybody envies you. Everybody envies your lifestyle. I don't. I said, I know how hard this is. I mean, I know the amount of time and effort goes into setting up each scene. I said, traveling's great once in a while. Every goddamn week? He says, yeah, you're right. I spend 250 days a year traveling. Yeah, I said, well, I don't, I don't envy you. And... Um, I said, and t- this morning, every day this week, you've gone, you went over to Lincoln Avenue and you worked out in this karate club. I said, wouldn't you ever kick back? And because um, when I first met him, the first time I ever met him, he was telling me that had he not written that book, he would have ended up being a stoner selling weed somewhere on on, on a beach. He said. He just didn't have that ambition, or just it was a pure fluke. Now it wasn't a pure fluke. I, I mean, he would exaggerate. That was hyperbole. But yeah, he got lucky. He knew he got lucky. He parlayed it into the TV show, the book, and um, but he hadn't. He he, he he couldn't stop. And you know, and of course, part of the reason he was attracted to my blog was I I, I would do a day to day by day description of Street Jimmy, who was a a crackhead, homeless crackhead, who we identified with. Yeah. And um, so we had the conversation. I looked in his face, and he was not a happy guy. I mean, the guy had all the success in the world, and what a lot of people thought was a dream life, except I didn't think it was a dream life. Um, and um, he wasn't happy. He was not happy. And... We talked about a lot of stuff. Talked to him a good 30, 35 minutes um, that time about very about his first wife, about things like that. And I certainly realized that all was not well with the guy. But that was also that was fall of 2015. Right. So things in your mind had not. Well, um, I. I mean, I've been writing about this all week um, on my blogs. And 
I think I suspected something was amiss when I watched the Italian show, I guess it was over a year ago, last year, that when he did it with Asha Argento. Yeah. Um, she just, and she had him wrapped around her finger. You could see right off the bat. He was, his first, his second wife was also um, Italian. She was, she was the karate jujitsu person. And um, so she was a real Italian. Now this one, but this woman did not seem like uh, the answer to his dreams. And he was totally smitten. You could see that. And I just wonder, the last, the second to last show of his life, she directed. Now, he had the greatest crew you can imagine. These yeah, I remember crew, they that. Could not have they were great. They, they were, were great. great. Weren't they great? Yeah, they really you were professional, could, funny, kind. I cannot imagine how what they thought about the, him intruding on them just because he's getting some pussy. Um, no, I really... You're saying this, you? I'm, you, you? How can you not relate to that? The power of sex. I, the I dumb re- things I, you've done no, for sex. No, I, I can relate to the power of sex, but not that, not that pussy. Well, okay, whatever. To each his own. Beauty's in the eye of the beer holder. Yes. Um, so you right away noticed that something was awry. Well, first of all, as I wrote on my blog... He's not a touchy-feely guy. Now, every time you'd see him with uh, Argento, he's got their cuddle up, their arms up. It's just not him. It's bullshit. It's some kind of horrible post-midlife crisis going on there. I mean, it was really... And she's got a, 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 a smoldering cigarette between her fingers and each pose and these horrible tattoos right above her tits. and Oh, just... Bleh. Okay, so that's not your thing. No, it's not my thing, but I mean, it's a cry for... You know what it is? It's a red flag. It's a cry for help. All right, well, to say the least, you're not a fan. I'm not a fan, and and he he called me off. I was, once I was... I've been kicked off of you, as you well know, I've been kicked off Facebook over 50 times. And in the last six months, they started kicking me off for 30 days at a time. So I have to be more careful, circumspect. So I went over to Twitter, tried to figure that out. Well, I figured out enough that I could piss off celebrities, write stuff, they ta- you know. So I was having some fun doing that. But after the Me Too movement started, Rose McGowan and Aja Argento were big leaders in that whole thing. But McGowan was absolutely unbearable. I mean, it was all like, I'm the most wonderful person in the world. Uh, I've suffered beyond what any human... I, just So I would write, Rose, you're our leader. Lead us. Such and, an and she, Yeah, well, I was fucking with her. She takes a bait. You know, so she was <laughs> going along with it. And so Anthony kind of just said, Bruce, I'd really appreciate it if you would just quit fucking with Rose McDonald. <laughs> so I did. and um, And so then... Argento loved the painting I did of her cutting Harvey Weinstein's throat. That kind of went viral. So I was on reasonably good paper with with these two heritons. And, um, and, you know, but now, of course, um, and I pointed out today in today's blog, and it was, or no, maybe it's tomorrow, I don't know. Oh, it's tomorrow's blog. I pointed out, let's just, McGowan writes this long letter. She's going to defend Aja. They had an open relationship. They were free spirits, or free birds, I think she said. And I don't even, I don't really read the gossip columns or any of that Well, this bullshit. was a letter. This is a so, long letter from uh, McGowan. Well, to, but wait a minute. So I don't understand. So she had been, I know there are pictures of oh, her. Oh, there were all these pictures of her all canoodling over. Canoodling with some young all over journalist Rome or something, right? With some pretty boy. Real pretty uh, 28-year-old guy named uh, Hugo Clement. Apparently, he covered her at Cannes Film Festival, and he's got some credits. I mean, the guy's not just a slouch. And all over, they know the paparazzi's tail him, and she's crawling up his down his throat, and they're, they're kissing and hugging. and. So then, uh, the, Rose McGowan, you said, Ro- well, wrote now, a thing? No, Rose McGowan, this is all post-suicide. Right, because now but, people are saying, oh, well, she but, was with this so, guy. 
Now, Eric Rapon knows exactly what happened, pretty close to exactly what happened. I mean, he won't, knowing him, he will not say anything about, about this. However, after the publish, and she po- po- and the most peculiar picture, which she took down, which she posted two hours before the suicide, or when she heard about the suicide, she immediately took it down. She had this black T-shirt and said, fuck everyone. Then there's a picture of, I couldn't tell who, who it was. It was a man. Fuck everyone. And then below that, you know who you are. And that was, um, and with as soon as Anthony killed himself, she took that one down. But all these pictures of her with Hugo Clement were about a day before Anthony killed himself. It was all over. After him posing for the same goddamn pictures practically, and now there she was. So I, po- I, I, I posted in tomorrow's blog. Oh boy. Let's just assume. I, I, told, I, I, I posted an entire letter. I made some comments before, during, showed some pictures of self-indulgent pictures of, of McGowan. Then, but I pointed out after all this, and McGowan trying to defend, they were free people, and Anthony didn't seek help for his mental problems, and and Ozda did because she has a child and all this, and and uh, we must not point blame, and <laughs> yeah, we must not bullshit. There's lots of blame. I I point I posted if Bourdain had been cavorting all over Paris or France with some 20-year-old hottie and Aja Argento had committed suicide, what would be the reaction from the Meat Tours and Rose McGowan? They would rip his nuts off. So, they're talking about double standard, and you know goddamn well they were. And there are no pictures of Anthony cavorting around with young broads. All right, so this is the perfect example of Bruce taking his sadness and uh, transforming it into anger and revenge, whatever that it's, may it's whatever a, that may be. I think it's called a sense of justice. Well, and you know what? When I was in high school, I called myself a vigilante. I was the one that had to take care of um, teachers that were out of line. And all I needed was a pay telephone, and I could bring them to their knees if they were misbehaving. The teachers? Yeah. And don't think they didn't fear me. Oh, my God. You are, again... The vigilante. That's why I call myself. <laughs> Model citizen is what we've called you many times. Oh, um, of the many... I've been forced uh, <laughs> uh, legally to, to see a lot of psychiatrists and psychologist in my life and um, one of them I loved said I had a Christ complex because I see things in such strict moral terms mm. and I think that sticks I, I was willing to go along with that's that that's curious one. well needless to say uh, Tony died and uh, it affected I feel everybody well I, I had no idea um, when he when he died and they posted right off the bat a beautiful, beautiful article he wrote about the alehouse, and that was it. Went all over the internet. So we really had just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people just coming to the bar, having a beer. Yeah, uh, you know, it's and, I fe- and the outpouring of emotion. I, I, I don't think he, I don't think he even had a clue yeah. how much people, uh, you know. It was insane. I mean, like, on Friday, you know, after I found out, I checked up on you, and I could tell you were really sad. And uh, I said, Bruce doesn't really come to the bar on Fridays. Um, But, you know, I said, hey, why don't you come to the bar? It's the right place to be. You know, it's just what you should do. So toward the end of the evening, Bruce says, okay, I'm, I'm coming out. So I meet you here. And... It was really curious to watch how people came to the bar that night because obviously, you know, no one seemingly in this who came to that bar the bar that night knew him, but they felt very connected to him. And I always find that to be a very curious sort of emotion that comes out. 
um, somebody left roses at the gate of the bar, right before the open, which put up at the bar, um, and they left a note for Tony. And that whole night, people were coming in here just to sort of get a sense of that they were in a place that he liked to be. And that was enough for them yeah, to feel they, close to him. And the next day, the same thing. Yeah, so it was a flurry of people. Uh, and it was also very curious to, have, to watch people who they didn't know you, but they recognized you probably from the show. And they would just come up to you and s- sort of shake your hand or give you a look. Or say, I'm really sorry. A, a lot of hot ch- chicks gave me hugs. Oh, God. Way to ruin the moment. Why? I, I like getting hugs from hot chicks. Anyway, I just found it very interesting to observe all of that. By, by the way, speaking of hot chicks, um, we, when the first time I ever met him, he, we were discussing, right, he, he was a huge fan of Jim Harrison, who he was... Unfortunately, when he did the show right after the Parts Unknown show with me, he, when he went down there, Harrison was very close to death. I mean, you could just see it was horrible. I mean, they they could barely get anything out of him. But he was, but he was a big fan of Jim Harrison. And I told him about the time that Jim Harrison came in the bar. He came in the bar two nights in a row, and he's kind of a odd-looking guy. You you bitch about my my um, I don't know. Um, how clean cut I am! <laughs> I don't know what the word we're looking for. Pull your but, shit together. Yeah, I don't know. I'm old. I'm, I just turned seventy-eight Sunday, so I can do anything I want. Really, I can eat ice cream if I want to. Fuck everyone. So, um, but Harrison came in. I don't know why, and I didn't. I'd never read him, but Arthur Klug, the previous owner of the bar, was a huge Harrison fan, and Harrison was over there with two young girls on each knee sitting over at that table and um, just having the time of his life. Well, the first night Bourdain Everett came in here without doing a show, uh, he was in town to do some kind of um, speaking thing over at the auditorium theater. So he came in here. So we sat over there on the other side in the corner. and um, People saw him. Well, yeah, but people, yeah. you know, one thing about the Ale House, there's enough celebrities come through that people don't really make themselves obnoxious. Yeah. But every now and then, some girl would come over and do mind if we pose. And I, so I was on the outside, so I'd say, well, normally we wouldn't do this because you're a hot chick. Yes, of course, you get the hot chick exemption. So he, he would, you know, nicely, he'd pose, and they'd take us off and all that. So Yeah, I come in here at least four nights a week, and no one bothers me. Yeah, they so, basically leave you yeah, alone. Yeah, I, I understand the feeling. It's nice. So... so um, he told me, I, I, I kind of consider it a compliment, although I think now he would retract all this with the Me Too stuff. But uh, he said, you know, Bruce, you are the only other person I know besides Jim Harrison that talks to women like that. Uh, Crudely? Well, I, I don't think, I think, um, frankly. Whatever you want to call it. Yeah. It's nasty. Well, no, uh, what's wrong with telling a girl she's hot? No, but then you use words that are really unnecessary. Like what? I don't even want to get into it. Oh, bullshit. You're such a... Anyway, um, yeah, I think that's what kind of um, gave me pause, though, when he got all involved in the Me Too, because simply because of Aja Argento. Sure. And the... the, And and what... I mean, I never discussed this with him. But this whole concept that she she says that Harvey Weinstein rapes her when she's 20 years old, orally rapes her. And then, for the next six years, she has consensual sex with him. I mean, in Italy, um, they ripped her ovaries out. You, 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 you're not supposed to have consensual sex. Now, I mean, the Me Tours can make a lot of excuses. Oh, she was post-traumatic stress or whatever you want to say but no, no, the guy raped you you say he raped you you don't have consensual sex, you don't pose huggy-huggy with him um I, I, and, and so that really to me was disturbing and um but he defended her, I mean he just 
and at the uh, Cannes Film Festival, when she got up and she said, you know, she was presenting some kind of award with uh, yeah, Ava DuVernay, and she said, and you know, right. She doesn't do the award. She just says, Harvey Weinstein wait me, raped me here 20 years ago. And um, and Duvernay's there. She and I met her once through Roger. She's very nice, very smart, very talented person. And she stands there, listens. And um, when she's done, she gives her, you know, kind of a reasonable little applause. She bums rap Duvernay for not being more supportive. I mean, just a fucking asshole bro. All right, well, to say the least, you have issues with this woman, but... Yeah, I do. I, right. I think Anthony's alive if it's not for her. That's, well, that's, that's all, my issue. that's all. We don't know that oh, to do. be true. No, oh, I God. do. I know. Uh, okay, so my point with all this is that it was very sweet to see everyone come in here on Friday and Saturday. And, very, very, very nice. Um, and, and talk to you, or not, we want to talk to you, and... and give their condolences and just really also interesting to watch people just feel very connected to someone and want to feel more connected to someone after the fact um, so yeah everyone was really much very much affected and you were one of those people and the kicker is that it was your birthday on Sunday so happy birthday Bruce thank you uh, and it was a kind of a kick in the pants <clears throat> and you're still looking disheveled I mean you have you ever heard of a razor? Yeah, and I do shave. Because, the only reason I shave is because um, it's my beard gets itchy, and so I said, "Fuck it, I gotta shave." Yeah, you should shave. It's not like I'm going to work or something. No, but you know, I mean, pull it together, clean yourself up, look what? presentable. Are, are you planning on having sex with me? What, 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 what? What's your goal in having me shave? You could say it. I've you, always, as, I've always, by the way thought you were closet straight so as my my partner in a lot of different ways as my best friend you are a representation of me and so i'd really like for you to like me be a little more clean cut yeah pull it together i'll make an effort i mean how did you ever get ladies if you didn't you know i used to shave no i used to be i used to be much better well something there's some little you'd be you'd be shocked how few hot chicks go after 78 year old guys Really? Yeah. It's like really discriminatory. I mean, that's got to, the, the, the lack of shaving has got to affect your game. Yeah, but the reason I sh- Although maybe you don't have game anymore. No. Or maybe you're not trying to have game because of rock and roll Ruth, your girlfriend. Well, of course. Although she doesn't like the not shaving either. I mean, it's not going to, it can't be good for your intimate moments. Well, you know, I mean, there's clits and there's clits. There's clit tickling. <laughs> what does that mean? It means that, you, you know, some chicks want a little more stimulation around the clit with, you know, All right. a little the, whisker let's thing not, going let's, on. Let's not, you don't need to go in that direction. That's not where I was intending to well, go it with it. certainly this. sounded like it. No. Although I will say, you've told me a story about what happened in 1963 and 1965, and I don't believe it. Yeah, well, a lot of people don't want to believe that I won the International Pussy Licking Contest in 63 and 65. What and, happened in 64? Well, they disqualified me because I had an outbreak of herpes. Oh. But I was known in those days as the hummingbird. Okay. And now you know the rest of the story. <laughs> yeah. um, anyway, well, I'm sorry that you lost your friend. It's been a rough weekend. It has. Well, yeah. It's You're obviously uh, healing through writing a lot more, and I'm sure you're going to be painting more, and uh, I don't know. Keep at it, Bruce. Keep at it. Um, I'll do whatever the fuck I feel like. like that. <laughs> you always do. You always do. Um, over the weekend, it was also the Old Town Art Fair. Yeah. Right. That started in what, 1973? Well, the real one, the one over in the old old town, Wall Street North, Art Fair, north of North Avenue. Yeah, and there's in the on Wall Street historical district of Old Town. Yes. And there's a. It's always a big affair. It's always a big to do. Yeah, except the weather was terrible. Oh my God! It was sucked ass. But it's always a big party. Yeah. And uh, Hawkeye. Bill Curry, our, our doorman here. Who, who lives over in the old section. Yep. He had a party. But it was um, 
everybody had to sit inside. It was making his wife crazy. And then when Rock and Roll Ruth said she needed uh, the address because uh, Pub Crawl Liz was coming over. Yeah, I can never remember his address because I just remember what sort of block he lives on. Well, you don't need to. You just look. And by the way, in the I mean, normally you can just see where all the people are sitting outside. But, of course, because of the weather, you couldn't. Um, but when rock, and ro- uh, when rock and Roll said pub crawl, li- she said, oh, my God, no, no pub crawls. Please, no pub crawls. We have no room. I told, I, she told me that story, and I, I told her, you know what? Next year for your party, I'm going to bring a pub crawl. It'd be out, hopefully the weather's good. You can. Yeah. I'll, and I'll, I'll bring one to all the people who have parties on that Sunday. I think it'll be a good time. Good way to make a buck, don't you think? Uh, no, I don't think it sounds that like everybody. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I think we should wrap that up for our first show here. I think so. How are you feeling? I'm feeling exhausted. Um, I'm feeling used. I'm feeling um, confused. Used and confused. Used and confused. Um, well, let's end this on a happier note. Okay. I really hope people enjoy the opening tune to our show. Yeah. And and by the way, kudos to Papa Liz because she, you know, we were going to brainstorm the lyrics, but she just went and said, no, genius, you're not doing your job. You're and slow she, as fuck. And so she came up with these wonderful lyrics and... Um, and there's a connection to the bar because one of our former doormans was Bad Bad Leroy Brown's son. son. So uh, it's. Uh, and uh, we have to thank Steve Marquette, bartender. We definitely have musician, to thank Steve. Who um, Tal- talented musician? Yeah, talented musician who played the tune and had a fellow musician sing the tune. And Jordan for taking it and making it great. Yes, well, Jordan's. <laughs> Jordan is Let's start this with Jordan and end this with Jordan. Because yeah. really, thanks, Genius, for another lovely conversation about well, nothing, really. Well, you're welcome. Yeah, nothing except life or death. <laughs> what the hell? Uh, and thanks to all the listeners. Uh, we've got a couple more. we got a few more podcasts in the queue here for y'all. Yeah, we're going to post a bunch. Uh, four, I think. Yep, uh, and then we're going together. to... Uh, yeah, and then we're going to have them on a regular and, basis. And then hopefully, um, Pub Crawl Liz will set up some way that you can send comments and we will we will respond to comments yeah this is a work in progress everyone so um well uh you can find me for sure on social media you can find me on facebook and on twitter uh, uh instagram i'm big on instagram um and you can send emails no problem but we'll we'll set up a web page for this podcast at some point here and you guys can uh, send us your questions, comments, concerns, and if we feel like it, we'll get to them. If we don't, then we won't. Yeah, exactly. And if you want, if, but remember one thing: if you dish it out, you got to be able to take it. This is a fact with Bruce. It's not always pretty. This is not just rainbows and puppies over here. Hey, I can, I can take it. Make <laughs> sure is, you can. This is why it, 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 uh, to be a regular at the Old Town Ale House is not always the easiest endeavor you take. It's not for the faint of heart. No, not at all. Which is why I'm curious that Tony, I guess it makes sense that Tony liked this place so much for that reason. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. I mean, he, he could dish. He could dish. Yeah, yeah, he could. I could tell some stories. But yeah, he, he was a good addition. Um, all right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Bruce, any last words for our listeners? Um, yeah. You, unlike uh, Pub Crawl Liz, you might want to read all my books because they're all really good. And hopefully, if she hasn't fucked up again, my third book, uh, California Jailbreak, should be out in a couple of weeks. Yes. It, it, we but just, you get both my books on Amazon. We just submitted and, the final copy uh, a quick shout out to Chad Anderson in San Diego, California. Huge shout out. He formatted the mess that uh, Bruce made out of his book. I mean, mess. I was on the phone with Chad. Hopefully the fast not going to be too small, though. No, I was on the phone with Chad yesterday for an hour, and what he told me he had to do, holy shizzle. Um, 
we owe that kid big. So shout out to Chad Anderson in San Diego. But he gets the consolation being part of history. Right, as we all do. Because um, the literary historians are going to be... You'll, you'll Probably when you're in your 80s, people are going to be coming to you. Were you really part of this uh, rock, uh, club crawler? Did you really you, know him? You know, Did you always you really? say this to me. You always say this to me. People are going to remember you as being a part of history. You're going to be rich and famous. I didn't for say being rich and famous, of, but like, you're going to be famous. I don't really need all of that. I, it's, it's, you wouldn't be attracted to me if you didn't. Let's, you're, that's a very strong word, attracted. Let's, let's ease up there, you're, fella. You're, 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 um, you're going to be a historical figure thanks to the genius. So just get used to it. Well, we'll see. And with the, with the release of this book, you now have a trilogy. I do have a trilogy. You should sell them in those little packs. Uh, no. Why? Because I'll feel it. Oh, okay. Good enough. Good answer. All right, well, thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you again soon. Okay, bye, everyone. Bye.